Lord, as we look at your word this morning, uh, this opening song is just great about opening the eyes of our heart. Um, Lord, the truth is we have all kinds of filters through which we decide what we will and what we won't believe or accept or act on. That's exactly what the text of the scripture is about this morning. And so help us to hear the things you want for each of us to hear. Make them plain, make them clear. Help us to hear and then, Lord, to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in John 7, continuing on in John. If you remember last week, we went up through verse 13. We talked about this opposition that Jesus faced, and there was opposition from outside, and there was also opposition closer to home. We talked about assessing our situation when we face opposition, and if there's nothing that God's calling us to change, that Keep on getting on with what it is we're supposed to be doing. Don't quit. Keep going. <clears throat> this morning, related to this theme about open the eyes of my heart, this morning will only be in verses 14 through 18. These verses kind of get down to the issue about what do I believe and how or why do I believe. It gets down to this issue of truth and recognizing truth. And this is all tied up, of course, in Jesus and his discourse with the Jews. And if you remember last week when chapter 7 opened, uh, the Feast of Booths was going to be taking place. And you remember this is one of the three national feasts in which the men were all supposed to go down to Jerusalem. Jesus' brothers chiding him, say, hey, you better head on down there so you can show off to everyone and become better known. And he says, I'm not going up now. My time isn't yet fulfilled. But in this text this morning, we pick up, he's gone back down to Jerusalem. Verse 14, when it was now the midst of the feast, that is the middle of the week, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews, therefore, were marveling, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? Jesus, therefore, answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now remember, Jesus was up in Galilee. He was avoiding unnecessary trouble because he said the Jews, that is the Jewish leaders around Jerusalem, wanted to kill him. But at the appropriate time, when his father wanted him to, he did go down to the feast. Now, the group that's here, remember, Jesus has been around for a while, and he's been teaching, and he's been performing miracles. So it's not that he's an unknown quantity entirely, but he's in Jerusalem at a time in which there are Jews from all over Israel there who probably had never heard Jesus before. He's not been to their corner of the country. There would also be Jews from other parts of the world who were making a pilgrimage for the Feast of Booths, just like they would at other times of, of year, um, uh, Pentecost, and what's the other one? Uh, Passover. This is a similar feast. So there would be Jews from all over the world at this feast. So some of these, they, they hear Jesus speak, and they're wondering. They're going through their minds trying to figure him out. They have not been hearing him that long, or they haven't seen the miracles He's an unknown quantity, and they're trying to figure things out. And this is what they ask themselves. Where did this man learn his letters? Or in verse 15, how has this man become learned, 
having never been educated. Now, it's not entirely clear what they knew about him, but they knew this. Wow, some teacher, but for whatever reason, we know he has not had a traditional education. In Israel at this time, if you were a teacher, if you were a public teacher, a rabbi, a mentor, a discipler of others, it meant that you had risen through the ranks to this position. And they know for Jesus, he's not been to one of the rabbinical schools. We would say today's language, he does not have an advanced degree. Matter of fact, he has no degree, no formal degree. So in verse 15, when it says he's never been educated, it doesn't mean that he was without learning. It means he was without the formal educational process or background that would have been normal for someone to have come into Israel and started teaching. And they say, how has this man become learned? How has he become learned? In Mark 1.22, Mark tells us they, the Jews, were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority, not like the scribes. Same kind of reaction. Marvel, amazement, and yet a question at the end of that about how did he get this? And, and therefore, is it legitimate? Who is he? Where does he come from? Why should we listen to him? By the way, this is, I think, always a legitimate question. Uh, Chuck Colson wrote a book I've never read, but I love the title, and it's called Who Speaks for God? Who Speaks for God? If it's me or a guy on the radio or whoever or wherever, if someone gets up and in any fashion proclaims that they're speaking on God's behalf or speaking God's words or interpreting or teaching, it's a legitimate question to say, who are you and where are you coming from? That is, why, why is what you say credible? Why should we believe you? This is a legitimate question. And taking an aside from this text for just a second, when you read Paul's epistles, almost always you'll see when he introduces them, he says something like, Paul called as an apostle. Why does he do that? It's because it's his authority. It's the reason why those folks that he's writing to should listen to him. Because he's saying, I'm not just Joe Schmo off the street, but I'm somebody Christ himself has called to be his representative, so you need to listen to what I have to say. That's legitimate. So Paul tells people when he speaks to them in a letter, he says, I'm Christ's representative. That's my authority. I love the text in Acts 17, following the same line, Paul gets driven from one city to another as he's proclaiming the gospel, and the people that are driving him away, they're Jews. They're Jews, because they don't like what he's saying. So they compel him to leave one city to go to another. Well, he gets to this city called Berea. And I love the phrase in Acts 17, it says, the Bereans, they were more noble-minded. I believe it's than the Thessalonians. And what did they do? They hear this new guy from out of town. They don't know Paul. And he hasn't brought a letter of commendation from the Pharisees like he did when he was persecuting Christians. So he can't present, him, present them with his decree saying, I'm an official representative of the temple in Jerusalem. He doesn't have that either. But he comes and he says, well, I've got something to say to you. I'm God's representative. And, and what does it say they did, these noble-minded Bereans? They didn't pitch him out like they did in Thessalonia. But it said they searched the scriptures daily 
to see if these things were true. They searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. You know, there's a verse in 1 John that says, you don't have a need for any man to teach you because the Holy Spirit is your teacher. And this doesn't mean that God hasn't given teachers to the church. He has. Teachers are one of the gifts listed in at least three different epistles. About These are equipping gifts God gives to the church. Teachers. But John says, you know, besides uh, human teachers, that is those who can open the scriptures to you, every Christian has the Holy Spirit within them. And it's the Holy Spirit who gives illumination and understanding. And in that sense, if we've got the Holy Spirit in the scriptures, we're good to go. We can learn the things God wants us to learn. Teachers come along to equip. And Lord willing, they help us understand things more quickly than we would otherwise, or they help us to be, uh, have a broader understanding of things or a deeper understanding of things. But it's always legitimate to say, upon what authority do you speak? And if, so, if you hear someone on the radio, or if you're visiting a church on a Sunday, or whatever, whatever other a forum you might be hearing someone teach, you can always do this at least. You can do what the Bereans did, and you can search the scriptures to see if what they say, what I say, lines up with the rest of the scriptures. In fact, we're called to do this. In Corinth, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, even if a person got up, believed they were under divine guidance to pray in a tongue and had an interpretation, or believed they were under divine guidance to get up and make a prophetic statement, the church was called to judge those statements. That is, the church didn't accept them just because someone said, the Holy Spirit has told me to say. The church was called to judge those things. And so I want to reiterate the point for you this morning that whether it's me or anybody else, if someone's teaching, it's a legitimate question to say, why should I listen to what you say? Why should I listen? What authority do you have? With what authority do you speak? And how do I know what you say is true? The least we can do is search the scriptures to see if these things are true out of Acts 17. So it's a legitimate question. Now, to this question they're, answer, they're asking, how did this man learn these things? Where is this teaching from? Jesus says in verse 16, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. My teaching is not mine, but him who sent me. Uh, sources were a big deal for the Jews in this day. In fact, they still are today. If you listen to Jewish rabbis, uh, they'll quote former rabbis. And even in Jesus' day, there were famous rabbis so that if you were making a point, you would quote Rabbi Hillel, or I can't remember the other guy that was known back then. You'd quote the rabbi. They're the authority. We've got God's law, and now we've got the interpretations of the law. This would be like legal disputes today. Many times they don't go back to the Constitution. They go back to all the legal decisions made based on the Constitution. Well, that's what was going on in Jesus' day, too. So Jesus says, I will tell you this. My teaching is not from a rabbinical school here, here in Israel, but the source, my reference for my teaching, is not mine, but it is his who sent me. To the question, how did you learn this stuff? Where is it from? What's your legitimacy based on? Jesus says, my teaching is not mine, but it is God's. It's his who sent me. How did this man learn these things? 
he received his father's teaching. There's a story I think I may have shared before uh, about Harry Ironside, H.A. Ironside. How many here have heard of H.A. Ironside? I'm just curious. Yeah, less than half. That's what I would expect. Harry Ironside was one of the most prolific and arguably important popular level preachers of the last hundred years, that is of the 1900s. And uh, one of my favorite guys, I find that I don't read his commentaries like I used to because they're not quite what I'm looking for, but if you want to read an encouraging life story ordained of the Lord, the story of Harry Ironside, it's great. Well, Harry Ironside is this... uh, kind of a brainiac, you know, he kind of almost had a, a photographic memory. He'd remember everything he read, remember everything he'd studied, and he could recall it 30 years later. As a young Christian, though, and as a young itinerant preacher, he was in Southern California, and he heard about this guy, not a monk, but this Christian recluse, sort of, old guy, who lived in a tent outside Los Angeles. And whoever he saw that knew of this guy told him, you've got to go hear this guy. You've got to go meet this guy. So Harry Ironside leaves Los Angeles and finds, sure enough, this old Christian guy living in a tent on the outskirts of Los Angeles. This would be in the early 1900s. Maybe living in a tent wasn't unusual then. Maybe it was a trailer home comparable to today. I don't know. But anyway, so Harry introduces himself, and basically the guy just opens his Bible and starts preaching or teaching. And as the day wears by, Harry Ironside is in tears. And he asks this guy, he is so overwhelmed by the truth that this old Christian guy is sharing with him, he wants the same thing. So he says, what book do I read or what seminary do I go to so that I can do what you just did, so that I can teach like you just taught? And the guy's response was this, there's no book that you can read and there's no seminary you can attend that will give you what I just gave you. He said, I've learned these things through 30 years on my knees with my Bible open, praying to God. That's my source. That's my authority. That's where my teaching comes from, basically. He's saying in the the words of this text, my teaching comes from spending time with Christ in his word. That's the authority, that's the source, that's the origin. Jesus says to those who are saying, how did you learn these things? By the way, the Greek term there is is our term, it's grammar. Where did you learn your ABCs, your letters? Jesus says, I learned them at my father's knee. The things I'm sharing with you are the things I've learned from my father. Look at verse 17. This is a good memory verse if you haven't memorized this in the past. John 7, 17, if any man is willing to do his will, God's will, he shall know of the teaching whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. Leon Morris is a major uh, author of commentary on John, and I love what he said about this phrase. He says, his hearers had raised the question of his competence as a teacher. Jesus raises the question of their competence as hearers. Listen to John 7, 17 again. This doesn't just apply to this. This applies to a variety of things. If any man is willing to do his will, God's will, he shall know of the teaching whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. 
Jesus basically says this, since I've learned from the Father, I'm committed to repeating what the Father shared with me. If you're willing to obey the Father, you'll recognize what I say is true. But notice what this is, uh, notice the hinge on this. The hinge is the if, and the hinge is if any man is willing to do his will. If any man is willing to do God's will, they'll recognize the teaching, whether it's from me or whether it's from God. Do you see how big an if this is? This says that spiritual understanding in some significant sense is based on my willingness to obey. Spiritual insight and understanding in a significant sense is based on my willingness to obey. If I'm unwilling to obey, and let's say I've got an area in my life I'm holding on to, and most of us do at some point or another, but I'm telling God, but I want to grow in these other areas, and maybe I'm not growing much, and I scratch my head and wonder why. Lord, I'm doing pretty good in all these other areas. You know, what, what's the deal? Jesus says, if we're willing to obey, we'll know. We'll learn. We'll gain wisdom. We'll have understanding about the teaching. This specific teaching he's, he's giving them then, or for you and I, it could be a teaching on anything. You know, for most of us, the struggle to learn is not academic and it's not intellectual. It is a battle of the wills. We were talking about homosexuality in the Sunday school class. If I'm a committed, devoted homosexual and someone's presenting me the truth of the scripture, my inability to accept what they say is true may have nothing to do with hearing their words or reading the same text they do, but it has everything to do with my unwillingness to change my life. Now, this doesn't just apply to homosexuals. This applies to you and I in just about anything or every area where our will comes into play. If you and I want to grow as Christians and we want to grow in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of his word, if you and I want to have discernment about is someone else teaching, is their teaching, is that legitimate? Jesus implies here that this is tied, our understanding, our wisdom, our ability to perceive truth is tied to our willingness to obey. So that God isn't just giving you and I understanding typically when we're unwilling to obey. And in the end, knowledge is not the big deal for God. Relationship is. Knowledge is very important. We want to grow in knowledge. But it's relationship. Well, if I'm sinning against God by refusing to obey in one area, he's not wanting to give me more treasure, the knowledge of him or the knowledge of his way or his wills, in other areas. Ask yourself this. If you're now or think about the past or save it for the future, if you're looking at issues in your life and you're just scratching your head because you feel like I can't come to resolution on this or I can't, I don't understand what's going on. One of the questions, at least, you need to ask yourself is, am I willing to obey God? That is, am I willing to do whatever God asks me to do? 
It's easy to say yes without thinking. <clears throat> Most of us have areas in our life in which if God asks us to do something, tells us to do something, we'll say no. And in those areas, you may find yourself scratching your head and thinking, Lord, why can't I get a handle on this? Well, this may be the reason why. And sometimes you may be sharing something with another person and wondering why they don't get it. Lord, why can't they understand this? It seems simple. It seems clear. It may not have anything to do with their ability to perceive truth. It may have everything to do with their willingness to obey. Their willingness to obey. This is huge. This is huge. This probably affects every area of your life and mine. My willingness to obey impacts my ability to perceive or to discern or to understand. So if you and I are committed to growing in knowledge, you can't do it apart from a will to obey. So they're sort of asking Jesus, hey, who are you that we should listen to you? And Jesus says, well, hey, what kind of hearers are you? What kind of audience are you? That'll decide whether or not you get something good out of what I say or not. If we want to be those who recognize God's word and his teaching, we've got to be those who are prepared to do his will or to obey. Look at verse 18. He says, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there's no unrighteousness in him. Jesus is, in essence, saying, uh, You can trust what I say. You can trust what I say. He said in John 3.33, God is true. God is true. He doesn't just say God speaks the truth, but he says, no, God's more than one who speaks the truth. God is truth. And here, referring to himself, he says of himself, he is true. Jesus says of himself, I am true. I am true. And he says he is true because of this. He doesn't seek his own glory. He seeks the glory of the one who sent him. Uh, we came through a political, a big political season at the end of last year. And you guys know that when a politician speaks on the campaign trail, how much do you believe of what they say? You hear the nightly news, you hear the stump speech, and you hear all the promises. And then you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And wh why is it that we would write off what they say? Why don't we believe them? It gets down to this. In some significant sense, because they seek their own glory. That is, they've got an agenda. And they want to say whatever it is that will get them elected, for whatever reason, whatever agenda that satisfies for them. You say, I can't trust what they say because they're in it for themselves. So I don't trust them because I don't know what they really want out of this deal. Maybe they want public prestige. Maybe they want to make more money. Maybe they hope to serve in office for a few years so they can get a cushy job with someone else. I mean, we don't know what their motives are. So when they get up and speak, we're not sure what's worth listening to and what isn't. We don't know what might prove true or what might not. And it's this very thing. We know they're speaking for their own purposes, generally. I'm not saying there aren't any politicians who don't, but boy, by and large, that's the deal. 
They're speaking because they're representing their own interests. Jesus says here, you can trust what I say because my goal is God's glory. My goal is God's glory. I'm seeking the glory of the one who sent me so I don't have to worry about anything else. I don't have to misrepresent anything to you because my goal is to glorify the one who sent me and he's a God of truth. He's a God within whom truth is. So because I seek his glory, because I've received his teaching, when I speak to you, all I can give you is the truth. All I can give you is the truth. This is uniquely true of Jesus. Uniquely true of Jesus. He was God and man. He couldn't couldn't lie. It was outside his nature. He couldn't lie as a representative of the God who is in himself truth. Couldn't happen. This is not true of you and I. But if we set our sights on being like Christ in this sense too, you've got to ask yourself this. Not just as a hearer. Jesus says if you want to perceive truth as a hearer, you've got to be willing to obey. But as a speaker here, Jesus says, if you want to speak the truth, you can't seek your own glory. Ask yourself this. When you're speaking to others, and this could be about spiritual issues or school or work or whatever, ask yourself at any given moment, what's your agenda? What's your motive in what you say and what you don't say? In your interaction with that person, what guides your words? Now, I know for myself, I have blown it big time in the past when God's asked me to say something to someone and I swallowed hard and didn't. You know why? Because my motive was my glory. My thought was, if I say that to them, what will they think of me? They'll think I'm crazy or whatever. If I say that, they'll think that of me. Who am I in it for? Me, I'm seeking my own glory. So I'm not trustworthy. Not trustworthy as God's spokesman. If he's giving me something to say, but I've got another agenda, I'm an untrustworthy spokesman. So when we're interacting with others, it's a great question to ask yourself this. You don't have to speak it out loud. You don't have to say anything to the other person. Lord, what's my motive? Lord, what's your agenda in my conversation with this person? Lord, how do you want me to glorify you in what I'm saying in this conversation? If you and I want to be truth tellers, not just truth hearers, we have to make God's glory our agenda, our priority. This is great. This simplifies your life and mine. If we want understanding, obey. If we want to know we're telling the truth, make God your aim. Glorify God. This brings spiritual maturity, spiritual understanding, spiritual faithfulness. It brings it down to toddler level. It's simple. Do you want to grow in knowledge, discernment, and understanding? Obey. 
Do you want to be someone that's, that other people can listen to and hear and walk away having heard the truth from your lips? Then you say, God, I seek your glory, not my own. And God honors that. I love this passage because it nails us on both sides of the conversation. Lord, can I hear truth and understand it? As an audience, I've got to obey. Lord, can I be a person who consistently tells the truth, truth teller to others, then I've got to make your glory my goal. Jesus stands up in this crowd during the week of the Feast of Booths, and he says, guys, I'm the one who obeys my Father. In fact, do you remember in John 4, when the disciples say, hey, you've got to eat? And the Lord says, hey, I've got food you don't know anything about. To do the will of my Father, that's my food. That's what I live for, it's to obey my dad. So in Jesus, in this passage, you've got this perfect model of one who says, I am in total obedience to my Father. So anything my Father hears, I can perceive and understand. And I'm one who is committed to seeking the glory of the one who is in himself truth, so everything I say is true. I just about guarantee if you find yourself prevaricating in a conversation, shading the truth in one way or another, it's because you're seeking your own glory. Even if you say in your, in your, in your own mind, I'm protecting myself, you're seeking your own self-interest. Even if you don't say that's my glory, you're seeking your own self-interest. You're not seeking God's interest, and, and therefore you cannot be seeking the best or the welfare of the person you're speaking with. Uh, it's possible to speak even the hardest things in love and make them acceptable. And Proverbs talks about the wise man, he takes delight in making the truth acceptable. We don't have to be offensive when we proclaim the truth, though sometimes we will be. Jesus was offensive, and sometimes we will be too, even though our aim is to glorify Christ and to speak the truth for the benefit of someone else. But guys, if, I guarantee when you're interacting with others, if you feel that little pressure inside that says, I don't want to say that, I don't want to say it that way, what will they think of me if, etc., that's the check for you right there. You're not seeking God's glory. And that's going to keep you from being a truth teller. So if we want to be a truth hearer, Jesus implies, John 7, 17, we've got to be obedient. We've got to be ready to do his will. Then he gives us more and more understanding and knowledge. And if we want to be a truth teller, we have to make God's glory our agenda can't be any other way. can't be any other way. Ask yourself this. What are you known by to others? If you know what others think of you, do they think that you're a doer of the word? And do others, can they come to you, as far as you know, your reputation of others, can they come to you and hear the truth? Can they count on you that you'll tell them the truth? You know, sometimes someone will come to you and they'll say, and you'll understand, this is in a different way. They'll say, what do you think? And they say, no, really, I want to know what you really think. Because what that means is you might be tempted to just tell me something to make me feel good. And what they're saying is, I don't want you to make me feel good. I want you to tell me the way it really is. 
Would your friends and would your family, would they say you're a person who they can come to and you'll tell them the way it really is, not in judgment, but in love? Well, can they count on you to be a truth teller? And are we a truth hearer based on our pattern of obedience? Texts like this are helpful to me because they cut away all the chaff. They get right to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter for you and I, learning the truth and telling the truth, it's our will to obey God and to honor Him. That's the bottom line. That transforms our life. It's our will to do and to honor Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I'm struck by the fact that we don't have to be intellectual giants. We don't have to be Ph.D. academics to know the deep things that are true of you. Lord, we could fail to have any degree, any formal education, and still know the depths of the universal truths that are true in you simply because we know you. Father, I pray that in your transforming process of making us more and more like your Son, the Lord Jesus, that in this area of our will, Father, that you would affect our will so that we are predisposed to obey you and thereby be able to hear and perceive truth. And Father, I pray that in our conversations with others, we are predisposed, Lord, to glorify you and therefore speak the truth in love. Father, I pray that you'll make us more and more truth hearers through obedience and truth tellers as those who glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.